top of the morning to you, or afternoon or evening, whenever you may be listening, my name is Scotty, and welcome to Chip Time, Season 2, Episode 13. We are cranking right through these, a baker's dozen, can you believe it? And it is 13 days until I will be in Eugene, Oregon, for the World Championships of Track and Field. Super fired up for that, and super fired up for the interview we have on today's episode, where I will be joined by Dr. Robert Wolf, talking about his running journey and so many other things. Nutrition, essential amino acids. It's a great conversation with a great member of this running community. So really excited for that. And like I said, counting down the days until the world championship. So we got a big one right on deck. I'm not going to waste anybody's time here in the intro. Let's dive right into the interview. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by a very special guest today. It is Dr. Robert Wolf of the Amino Company, a longtime runner in his own right. And I'm really excited to get to hear his insight, his running journey, and all of the highs and lows of this sport that we all know and love. So first of all, Dr. Wolf, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here. And if you wouldn't mind just giving us kind of your your bullet points of who you are, uh, where you're from, and what you do. Sure. Well, uh, I grew up in California, but uh, most of my career is either in Boston at Harvard Medical School or uh, now I'm at the University of Arkansas for medical sciences. I'm a, a, I'm a professor of geriatrics, uh, and I also uh, am uh, the chief scientific officer for the Amino Company. Um, I uh, started my uh, running career when I was 13 and have run continuously since then. I'm 75 now, so uh, I, I'd say my, couple my years. Uh, running experiences. Yeah, my running experience is more noted for longevity than uh, any one particular great accomplishment, but uh, I'm still plugging away with it. Uh, my uh, work that I do now is uh, entirely related to running a research lab involving uh, optimal formulations for medical issues and, uh, and not just uh, running, but uh, we, I, I have uh, 14 different patents on uh, essential amino acid-based products that are used in medical nutrition for a variety of uh, circumstances, including uh, 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 fatty liver and uh, uh, delirium and a variety of things that aren't really gonna be that interesting to your reader, to your viewers, but the main focus for today, I think will be the uh, development of products to support uh, athletic performance, both uh, running aerobic type performance as well as resistance exercise. So. Um, I, I'm able to do that part-time. Uh, it's actually kind of a, uh, a funny twist with the COVID thing because I moved here. I moved here. I'm in New Zealand now, and I moved here almost three years ago, uh, sort of thinking that that was going to be the end of my involvement at, at the University of Arkansas Medical School. But then with COVID, it was in, in a weird way kind of a blessing for me because they actually even established a category of remote work. So I'm able to maintain close contact, although... I'm actually physically going to be coming back in a, in a few weeks, so I'm kind of excited about that. But uh, I've been able to keep a close contact with the lab and, and keep it running at the same time, enjoying uh, being here in New Zealand, which is a beautiful spot. And, and more to the point is uh, the home of my uh, uh, our only son and, and their children. So, so it's really uh, 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 worked out well in that regard. And uh, uh, I'm still actively involved in research and developing products. So uh, I think for today's show, that that, that would be the most uh, important aspect of my background. Absolutely. It, it sounds like you're all over the map, both physically and also <laughs> in the variety of medical research you're doing. So really uh, quite a lot going on there. So, yeah, like you said, we probably will focus on the running and the athletic performance type category today. 
How did you, you mentioned you were 13 years old. How did you get into running? Where did it begin? And were there other sports that, that you really started with as well? Yeah, uh, well, uh, to frame a reference, I'm six foot five and 200 pounds. So I never was ideally suited for running. I played basketball and uh, was uh, uh, a starter for four years at uh, Cal Berkeley and then uh, enough success to be drafted by the Golden State Warriors. Oh my gosh, uh, wow. But uh, uh, at the same time though, back then it just goes to show how times change because uh, when I was a freshman in high school, it was about uh, 1960, 1960, I guess, they had the President's Fitness Challenge. So to, to pass physical education, you had to do a variety of different physical fitness tests, including running a mile, which I had never, I grew up in Oakland. I had never even thought about running a mile or uh, trying running, but was able to uh, impress the uh, track coach with my ability to run a mile without any training. And so he talked me into going out for cross country. It's kind of a uh, conditioning for basketball. And that's, you know, I kind of looked at it that way, but at the same time, I very quickly started to really enjoy uh, running. And, and in fact, when I went to Cal, I was uh, kind of an unusual case where I was able to also compete on the track team so that I uh, continued my running. But and, and when I retired from basketball, when I was 23, I was really kind of scratching around for what to do because I, I ran the 800, well, 880 yards in those days. But that was just not an event that you're going to keep up for the, your entire life. That was uh, one of my, just, yeah, that was one of mine as well. You quickly yeah, transitioned you know, from you reach, the... You reach the point, you reach the point where that's as fast as you're going to get. Yeah. And then it's even <laughs> hard to find races to run in. And, and uh, I had a friend in graduate school who uh, was a marathoner. And, you know, I got kind of intrigued in that. And I started uh, doing longer distances and... And, uh, you know, it's been a journey since then. I've, I've done it steadily without any interruption other than the various surgeries that are sort of part of the uh, lifelong intense running training. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, so my start was relative to basketball. But, but then uh, uh, by the time I was in my mid-20s, I was fully committed to being a runner and, and committed to the, to the notion that, one of the things that sort of was a big transition for me was the, the first marathon, I, the second marathon I ran was Boston in 1976, where it was uh, 100 degrees. And, uh, uh, you know, and no, that, that was, there, were, there was no water whatsoever on the course. They called the race the run for the hoses because everybody was running into people's yards and turning on the, the sprinklers and, uh, and, you know, I started questioning, why am I doing this? Because this, it was a pretty torturous day. And I, I didn't run for a few weeks. And then I, I started missing it. And I, I came to the conclusion that I was never going to ask myself that question again. It's just what I do is run. And uh, uh, that's it. And I never never questioned again why I was running. It's just people had asked me, why, what are you, why are you doing this? I said, well, that's just what I do. And uh, I think that's that's put me in good stead because I'm still doing it now at 75. So as long as I can stay on my feet, I'm going to keep doing the running. Well, that's a great mentality to have. And I can't imagine going through 26.2 without aid stations and, <laughs> and water available. I'm a one-time marathoner myself, and I was just gulping it down, especially towards the end of my race. But... You know, that transition from 800 meters, a middle distance runner and basketball player, straight to the marathon, did you add a ton more mileage to your training? Was it a complete 180 from what you had been doing? Or do you feel like that track background set the foundation? I think the latter, that um, in the uh, 60s, uh, interval training was really... Uh, you know, that was the, the major focus of track. I, in fact, we used to basically walk down to the track, lace up our spikes and start doing intervals basically every day. So I grew up with the notion that if you were running, you did interval training. And, and I think that carried over to enabling me to, to improve my performance is I, I actually completed 62 marathons under 230. And I had a, a program in which I, I, I uh, incorporated two interval workouts a week which would be like five mile and five individual mile intervals one day and then uh, 
anywhere from 12 to 20 quarter miles, depending on how fast I was doing. Um, so that was Tuesday and Thursday. And other than that, the real transition for me that enabled me to start doing okay in the marathon was I started running to and from work because I realized that I just, I had so much trouble getting out the door, you know, working all day, coming home and then heading out, especially when I moved to Boston, the heading out in the dark and the cold. And it just uh, was, was such an ordeal. So I started uh, carrying my clothes in a pack and, and running to work, working. And then uh, there always would come a point in the day where uh, I'd rather, uh, run home than uh, than work anymore so that there was never a case of avoiding the run and and it was a big jump in mileage I went I never even considered mileage when I was running track and then after I started doing the dis the, that Boston Marathon was when I realized I just didn't have enough mileage under my belt and I started doing this run to and from work and jumped it up to about 100 miles a week for the next 30 years so uh uh, that was really the key was was figuring out that I could uh, combine commuting and uh, and my running and in one fell swoop. So that was kind of the major transition that enabled me to get lots of miles in. How far was your commute from where you lived to your office? Yeah, uh, that's kind of a funny story where I what I did was I wanted it to be about nine to ten miles. And so I actually, when I, I, I took a little pin on a map of the Boston area and kind of drew a circumference of uh, nine to 10 miles and looked for somewhere to stay. And, and what I found was uh, where, where we lived was uh, right across the street from the train that actually went right to where I worked. So, uh, because you know, you're never gonna be able to do it every single day without something coming up. So I had a backup, but uh, it was nine, if I just did my normal day, it was nine miles to and from work. Very nice. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've never really eclipsed 70 mile weeks myself. I feel like it'll take building up to that over time without, you know, risk and injury, of course. But I do plan, I'm in my mid to late 20s right now, and I do plan to transition more to the marathon scene. But I'm, I'm holding on to that small amount of speed I have yeah. at, at the moment for as long as I can. You so yeah the, you, the marathon will suck that speed away from you. I, I know tell you I, that. that's what uh, I'm afraid of. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned pretty casually that 62 times you've you've gone under 230. Yeah, yeah. I think like I said, the longevity is my my strength more so than I never. It's always my goal. It's for a number of years. I, I made rapid improvement. I the first marathon I ran 246. Then the disaster at Boston was. Uh, like three hours and 30 minutes. And then after that, I was under 230 and every marathon I ran. And uh, uh, so, you know, I improved so quickly. I thought, well, maybe I can get really good. But, you know, I just plateaued. In fact, I, I had three marathons in a row in 226.06 with the first three times. I So I was at the same time for to the second for three marathons in a row on the first times I broke 230. So, you know, I had to come to grips with the fact that uh, a guy my size and with a full-time job was going to be hard pressed to compete with, uh, guys running 210. But, uh, but I was happy with that. I, I, I never really, uh, had a problem with the fact that I wasn't a world-class runner. I still love to uh, run and compete, just, uh, kind of finding levels of competition that were more suitable to me than trying to go head to head with world-class runners. Well, I personally think the two twenties is elite. So, yeah, I, I, my, my hat's off to you on that. I was going to use a reference of, of an athlete from your, your relevance back in your basketball days. Those are some Wilt Chamberlain numbers that I'm hearing. Though, that, a statistic <laughs> like that, that's something that just jumps off the page. So that longevity is amazing. And did you ever have any significant running injuries or were you able to stay pretty healthy yeah. throughout that. Well, I had years. some problems, uh, but I always, I looked at them as, as uh, uh, injuries that were problem because I wanted to run. Uh, I had a bad problem with my ankle from basketball, which required three surgeries. And uh, that caused me some problems in the running. And I also uh, had back surgery which again, everybody said, well, it's from all the running. But uh, the fact is that it really wasn't, I don't think, because it was a congenital uh, 
uh, growth of calcium into the uh, bone. And, and, and I also had a hip replacement about 10 years ago, but none of these things, uh, you know, I look, you know, people, everybody said, oh, that's because you run so much. And then, you know, they had a class for the uh, uh, post-surgery, which all the people that week were getting surgery for hip replacements went and uh, I looked around that room and I knew I was the only runner. So that was not, that, <laughs> that was not the reason that I was having the problem with the hip. It's just, you know, kind of a, as you grow old, you have some problems and, and, and they may end up uh, limiting your ability to run. And that's where I wasn't going to settle for something where I couldn't run anymore. And in fact, with the hip replacement, I was told I'd never run again. And that just wasn't true at all. Wow. Yeah. That, that would be something if I heard ever told me i'd be like i will find a way i will find yeah. a way to lace the shoes up again yeah that was the way i felt about it i was pretty because i was i was in my late 50s and i i still was uh pretty good shape and i said i just don't believe that that's true that you can't run again and that that wasn't true in fact i ran a marathon after that so uh uh i think that you know that, that there's Fundamentally, if you're if you're dedicated enough, there's no real excuse to keep you from getting out there, even if it's at a like when I run now, it's at a very I can't run a quarter mile at the pace of my average marathon, but I'm still plugging away at it. That's amazing. And that really is a positive way to look at it. We're all about, you know, keeping the community growing and in a positive mindset. And I think that is some advice that anyone could take. When you look back at your competitive running career, was there ever a favorite race, like maybe a different time at Boston or one of the other majors or uh, any event that stuck out to you from all the years doing it? Yeah, well, like I said, I, I uh, was a, what I at the time was a pretty good runner. So, you know, you have to kind of scratch deep to find a, uh, a big highlight. But I guess for the running highlight was uh, when I was a master, I, I don't know exactly now, but in those days, 40 was a master and uh, there weren't any subdivisions and I just turned 40 and uh, I was running in the Honolulu Marathon and uh, both Frank Shorter and Lassie Barron who had won Olympic gold medals. Yeah, the, he's the guy uh, who you know, some years ago were also in, yeah, they were in the they were in the race as well. They had also just turned forty, but neither of them were really that serious anymore. And so, in, in at about the twenty mile mark, I passed both of them. And I was thinking, boy, I wish this had been twenty years ago, and I could have <laughs> passed, passed up the pass these guys. But but that was probably my running highlight. Other than I was thinking about you know that question, and and also another aspect, another incident that has always stood out in my mind more so than any success of running was uh, the Boston Marathon one year, I was running along at about the uh, 10 mile mark. And, uh, I, you know, was, at that stage in a marathon, you could really just about eat a sandwich because you're, you're just cruising. And, and it was a good day. It was the day that I, I had my PR. And, uh, you know, I was running next to a guy for a while and we were running about five, 10 miles. And the guy said to me, isn't it great to be able to run this fast? And, uh, you know, it really stuck with me because, that, you know, of course, there were guys way ahead of me, but still running along at a good pace and I felt good. And I thought, you know, this is why I train. And uh, I've always remembered that as a real highlight. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely something that I enjoy when I run with someone else is when you both are feeling good. You both have that fitness yeah. and you're sharing that experience. But Wow, the fact that you took down Lasse Viren and, and Frank Shorter <laughs> at any stage, uh, that's something yeah. that not a lot of people can say. It, was there ever a favorite professional or collegiate runner that you had growing up or later in your, well, your life? Yeah, well, uh, when I was in high school, Peter Snell was the, the, uh, from New Zealand was uh, the Olympic champion in the 800 and 1500. And New Zealand was just so far away from the U.S. and it was like, you know, the other side of the moon. And, you know, he was kind of a mysterious uh, idol of mine who, parenthetically, he, he got a Ph.D. In, in exercise physiology. And I met him like 
30 years later. And, uh, you know, I, I said to him at the time when I met him, uh, how uh, he had been my idol uh, growing up. And the guy who was showing me around, who worked with him, didn't even know that he had ever been a runner. And here he's, you know, he has voted the greatest athlete in the history of New Zealand. So that was kind of showed what, what modesty he had in addition to being a great runner. And the other runner that I really tried to pattern myself after was when I was in Boston was Bill Rogers. And uh, he was just such a great runner and had such a fantastic ethic and was also one of the nicest guys you would ever meet. So he was uh, he was really a, 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 a figure that I looked up to for uh, many years is that we did do some running together and, and he was really a, a great runner. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's definitely hard to, to narrow it down, but it's cool that you have a, a longer distance guy and, and more of a middle distance guy in there as well. So at what point for you, as you were putting in these hundred mile weeks, doing these competitive marathons and also, you know, starting to, probably learn more about nutrition, about how to fuel the body. When did you start to do research for running and athletic performance and nutrition? Well, the thing that got me going in it was, uh, you know, in the 60s, the, the, the whole concept of glycogen loading and, and glycogen being the fuel for, for running came about. And so the thing, and, and through the early 70s, but mostly in the 60s, uh, people were uh, really relying on carb loading to, to be the nutritional cornerstone of distance running. And uh, that I, I had never had great success with it, but I really created one day where I'd had a, a couple of muffins. There was like a, a workshop or something that gave out some free muffins. And, you know, when you're running 100 miles a, a week, you're looking for any source of nutrition. And I, I ate those I ate those about an hour before I ran home and I blacked out uh, running home and realized that what happened was that I uh, that it, when you eat, if the timing when you eat a carb before you run isn't just right, that you get an insulin response that then drives the glucose down when you're running. And, uh, and that's when I first realized that there is definitely a problem with the traditional nutritional approach to the marathon. And I started doing research in the early 80s, uh, looking at the amino acid and protein metabolism, which had never really been looked at in, in, in exercise. And so that really was the first uh, series of studies I did in the early 1980s, which then, uh, you know, kind of led to the fact that, that really the, the, the optimal approach to uh, nutrition for distance running more involved, uh, supporting the protein amino acid nutrition than, uh, the carbohydrate as, a, as the major focus. We very briefly in a previous episode of this podcast had kind of a, a download of some nutrition basics and briefly covered that protein is made up of amino acids. Could you, in much better words than me, uh, please describe what essential amino acids are and how they benefit running. Sure. The uh, body has uh, uh, about 3,000 or more proteins in the body. And these proteins are constantly in a state of turnover. That meaning that they're being broken down and replaced with new proteins that are functioning better. So that's how the body maintains a... Uh, uh, a balance, uh, a physiological balance as, a, as, a, as the proteins kind of wear out, so to speak, that they're replaced with new ones. And to do that, you have to uh, have available in the body the free amino acids that are the components of building a new protein. There are 21 amino acids that comprise body proteins in different order and different numbers, but there are 21 basic dietary amino acids. And out of those there are nine that the body can't produce. And those are called essential amino acids because they have to be eaten or dire physiological consequences will result. So those essential amino acids are part of the daily dietary intake. There are nutritional requirements published for all of the essential amino acids. So that, that's a minimum amount of essential amino acid components of the dietary protein you eat that have to be eaten. The non-essential amino acids 
aren't so important because they can be produced in the body. They can be uh, converted from one amino acid to the other if you're kind of short on them. But the essential amino acids cannot be produced in the body. They, therefore, the name essential. They, they're essential to health. And without an adequate amount of essential amino acids, not only will you have health problems, but ultimately they're required for survival. So, so the notion of having essential amino acid nutrition isn't like taking something that's just foreign to the body. They're not only part of the normal diet, they're actually the only real requirement of macronutrients that we have. We can live without carbohydrate, we can live with just a very small amount of fat, but you can't live without the essential amino acids. So, so they're important for all aspects of life, including running, where we're trying to stimulate the turnover of muscle protein to break down the uh, muscle fibers that have been kind of torn up and, and, and used in the process of running and replaced by new, better functioning muscle. And that's really what the goal of the nutritional supplementation with essential amino acids is to juice up that process of repairing, uh, of replacing uh, deficient muscle fibers with new, highly functioning uh, fibers. And, and that, occur that helps both in muscle strength as well as the production of energy, if, if, you've, if the listeners know of the uh, mitochondria or the bodies in the cell that produce the uh, energy needed for contraction. And those are also comprised entirely of protein so that we're, we're not just strengthening the muscle fibers for strength, but also replenishing the, um, the uh, proteins required for the production of energy as well. So that so that if we do it right, and this is where the real key is, that, that we have this requirement for essential amino acids, but we don't want to bulk up as runners. Uh, so that this is why we have different formulations for really uh, developing muscle mass and uh, strength through uh, resistance training, as well as uh, uh, the type of dietary protein intake to increase mass is a, is a different issue than performance. And performance is entirely predicated on this notion of improving the muscle protein turnover as well as maintaining the alertness and, and focus during the, war, during the run. So, so that's why we have these uh, essential amino acids comprising different products because there may be different, they play a role in all the metabolic processes in the body. The perform uh, in particular is focused on running. And with that, you know, I'm kind of curious of your own experience with the product. Do you feel that having that type of nutritional advantage uh, makes you feel like your legs are stronger while you're running? Maybe you're not breathing as heavy. What are the physical advantage advantages that you feel as a runner while using the, the Perform product? Um, well, there's two aspects that we are looking for. One is the synthesis of protein and, and, and better, bettering the muscle quality. That's a slow process. And, and as we sit here, you know, you and I don't have any idea what our rate of muscle protein synthesis is. But the other aspect is uh, focus and attention and, and, and uh, engagement in what we're doing. And the, um, the, the determinant of that is the balance in neurotransmitters in the brain between serotonin and dopamine. And uh, serotonin is the uh, neurotransmitter that predominates when you're feeling sleepy and tired and fatigued. Dopamine is the excitatory neurotransmitter that really uh, makes you feel alert and, and uh, maintains your function. And as you, uh, the essential amino acids are the precursors or, or they're what the neurotransmitters are made of. So we can control the production of those neurotransmitters with the balance of the essential amino acids. And the PERFORM is constituted so that the, that the profile of the amino acids promotes alertness through stimulating dopamine production and, and limiting the serotonin. So what you feel with it is just much more engaged, much more alert, it's like having a giant cup of coffee in the middle of your run because uh, uh, we're maintaining those neurotransmitters at levels that uh, don't let you trick your body. We're kind of tricking your body into thinking that you're feeling good, even though you're getting tired, but your perception is that you're feeling pretty good. So I think that that's really the, it's not the long-term benefit, it's the short-term benefit. It's feeling better during your workout. But well, well, at the same time, the fact that you're doing a better workout is, is giving you all the benefits of uh, training harder. 
I can speak to that even just with my own experience using it. I've recently been doing some interval training as well on the track. And when you're doing repeats of the same distance, quarter miles, for example, or 200 meter repeats, it's easy when you're counting a high number of repetitions to mentally either get discouraged if you're only a third of the way through it or halfway through it. But with the product, I've just felt that level of alertness where I've gotten to the end and I've either either been like, hey, I feel pretty good. I'm going to keep the pace and finish this one out strong. Or I've even had other times I've felt really good, put the spikes on and just uncorked, you know, a fast last rep feeling really good. Yeah, and, and, and to that point, you know, I can, I don't know if you can relate to this, but as I said, all my life I did intervals and a lot of the time was by myself. And uh, if I was doing like 12 or 15 intervals, I'd find little pebbles and put it down for each one because after six or seven, I couldn't even remember how many I'd run. And, uh, you know, I just don't feel that at all now. I feel definitely a mental focus that uh, I have a much better idea of what, of course, probably not, not running as much either, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but still, you know, it just went to the fact that, that without some kind of support, your neurotransmitters start to feel, you start to get that fatigue that just, uh, you know, it's not really physical because that, that we always have had an expression, you can always do one more quarter. And it's really true that it's no true. matter what you work on, no matter how tired you are, if all of a sudden you have have to do one more, you can always suck it up and do one more. So there's physical, physically, you always got more gas in the tank. And, and, and what Perform enables you to do is to sort of tap into that reservoir with a greater focus and uh and perception anyway of feeling not so tired. This might be a, a tough question because it doesn't have a perfect answer, but do you recommend if someone wants to use Perform, mixing it and starting to drink it before the workout, during the workout, or after the workout? And if before, what kind of time frame do you recommend uh, before exercise is started? Yeah, uh, the time frame, the optimal time frame is sort of related to how long it takes the amino acids to reach the peak level in the blood and how long they're sustained. And, and so when we look at those parameters, an hour to 30 minutes before is about the right time. Um, the thing about it is that uh, it's direct, the amino acids are directly absorbed into the body. There's, when you take protein, they go through the intestine, it simulates the release of enzymes, they digest the protein, and then those amino acids are transported into the blood. And uh, it takes quite a long time for the protein to be fully digested. If you can think about eating a big steak uh, uh, an hour before running, you'd feel pretty heavy. The advantage with the uh, amino acids in the free form is they're absorbed so that within five minutes, you already see the, the response in the blood. And by 30 minutes, you pretty much reach the peak level. And uh, the other aspect that I think is important to realize is that you're not getting any insulin response. You, there are no calories in terms of carbohydrates or fat when you eat this. So it's a lot different than eating a high quality dietary protein that has along with it, even if you're eating a vegan diet, you're still going to be getting all the carbs or, or, or fat or both. With the aminos, it's, uh, you know, a, a good dosage of the aminos is not going to give you 50 calories of total energy so that we're not providing an energy. We're providing a, a formulation that, that normalizes your, your amino acid levels in the blood without interfering with the normal use of energy. What I have left here are a couple FAQs, frequently asked questions just to clear up things I'm curious about, and I'm sure others are as well. One of them is, what is the difference between EAAs, essential amino acids, and BCAAs? I'm assuming it's what you were talking about earlier with the nine essentials versus the others, but if you wouldn't mind clarifying that, sure. um, those are some acronyms well, people uh, see often in the nutrition right, space. Right, exactly. 
the BCAAs are leucine, isoleucine, and valine, uh, uh, branch chain amino acids. The, BC, the branch chain refers to their chemical structure. And they are all essential amino acids. So that of the nine essential amino acids, three are leucine, isoleucine, and valine. The problem with taking, and, and the notion of taking the BCAAs uh, is related to uh, twofold, but mostly uh, addressing the issue of the, uh, the attention or focus. Uh, the problem with the uh, taking only three though, as, is that uh, the overall balance is not affected and is not appropriate for both suppressing the, uh, the serotonin and stimulating the dopamine. So that you need all of the amino acids to have the proper balance of the production of uh, dopamine and serotonin. With regard to protein synthesis, the BCAAs are only three of the nine you need. Uh, now, uh, in a formulation to stimulate protein synthesis, they will include the BCAAs, but also all the other essential amino acids that make up the dietary protein. So that. So the BCAAs have a role and they are, uh, for example, in PERFORM, probably 50% of the total product is uh, uh, BCAA, but they're not in of themselves adequate to do the uh, metabolic, to give you the metabolic benefit of taking all the essential amino acids. Sounds like a better value to me. I think what some people may be wondering, given the fact that there are neurochemical things happening when you use such an innovative product like this. The question may arise, is this safe for me to use? And is there any limit or anything I should be careful about when taking in essential amino acids? Yeah, I think that's a, a very reasonable question. And I think the thing to keep in mind is that what we're dealing with here it's not you know, some obscure chemical that we've dreamt up in the lab. We're, we're dealing with a balanced mixture of essential nutrients. Uh, if we analyze the average diet of Americans, uh, on average, Americans consume about 40 grams of EAAs through the normal diet per day. So effective amounts of free essential amino acids timed perfectly with time appropriately for the exercise, we're only adding maybe five grams, maybe seven, depending on how much you take. So it's a small amount relative to the amount that you eat every day. And in fact, there have been studies uh, to document the safety of the essential amino acids. There are upper limits for each individual uh, essential amino acids that have been shown to be safe, which are in excess of a hundred grams be above and beyond the 40 grams you already eat. That's 100 grams of each individual amino acid. So that the, uh, the, the amount of amino acid that you'd have to eat to have any sort of adverse effect, well, it's actually uncertain. There's never been any adverse effects reported. So uh, who knows, but we know that, that the dosage to get a beneficial effect is way below what would possibly cause a uh, effect. Now. Uh, to, to the issue about the fact that you're, you're dealing with neurotransmitters and so forth, it's important to realize that that's the problem with BCAAs is you're, you're increasing three, but you're not affecting the others, meaning that the, pro, the normal profile is being completely disrupted by giving only three of the nine essential amino acids. But we have taken a lot of time and effort to uh, determine not to go into the nuts and bolts of it, but, but it's not just by chance that we have the formulation that we do to maintain a healthy balance of the amino acids. And that's also part of the crucial difference between the essential amino acids and taking one or three individual essential amino acids, but uh, producing a, uh, uh, a, a, a disruption of the normal balance of the plasma concentrations of those amino acids. I think that clarity is really going to be helpful for people's understanding when you mention this isn't something that was cooked up in a lab with a bunch of artificial components. These are essential nutrients that you need. And given the the formula, the clinical trials, it supports that it is supporting your body and taking the right steps neurochemically that is going to help you in your athletic 
performance. So the last of the frequently asked questions I have here is if you could change one thing about the misconceptions of amino acids for running, what would that be? Because I think some of those are protein is for people trying to bulk up and increase their muscle mass. That's exactly the, that you, you kind of one up me there on this. <laughs> that's exactly, the, <laughs> no, that's exactly the point that, uh, if we're trying to put on bulk, uh, then the, the, the weightlifting that you do is focused on building bulk and you need a lot of uh, protein as well as amino acids because they, the amino acids, uh, you know, they, they reach a, a peak level in the concentration, but then they fall away again. So that's ideal for stimulating the protein turnover and, and improving muscle quality. But in terms of the bulk, it's not going to really do much because you're not providing extra energy along with it. Anybody that, that, that is experienced in weightlifting and really bulking up will tell you that in addition to the protein and amino acid requirements increasing, you need to eat a lot of energy as well. There's energy required to synthesize new protein in the body, muscle in particular. And so what we're providing is just the amino acids to stimulate the turnover, but not extra calories. And that's a crucial difference because with the extra calories, you have the production of new protein, but the extra calories slows down the breakdown of the old uh, protein so that you get a bigger increase in, in uh, size because you get the, the production of new protein, but it's not being broken down as fast. When you take the essentials without the carbs and without the protein, without the uh, fat, what we're doing is actually increasing both the production and the breakdown. And the breakdown being stimulated is a good thing for runners because we're increasing the, uh, we're increasing the functionality of the muscle without actually building more muscle mass. So what you'll find if you, you focus on um, amino acid mixture like pro, pro perform is that you will not gain any weight from it. And uh, uh, if the, the studies we've done with essentials show that actually you'll use up a little bit of fat because the, the fat in your body is burned as energy to make the new protein that's stimulated by the essential amino acids. So that if anything, you, you'll lose a little bit of fat, but, but the main point is you're not giving calories along with the protein. So you don't build muscle. And, and that's a crucial point. I think that that's, that's been a big stumbling block in making runners understand the value of amino acids as uh, nutritional supplements is that you're not going to get big from it. You're going to get stronger. You're going to get maybe a little leaner, but the muscles are going to function better. That's the key that we are targeting, not uh, uh, getting stronger because your muscles are bigger. And I think that is what I appreciate the most out of this whole explanation is it's very apparent to me that this is a product that was made for runners. I mean, and for others as well. I could see tennis players using this and soccer players, but as a runner, knowing that there is a product that is built for running performance and i've used it myself and, and already started to experience that it really gives me that clarity and, and peace of mind to know that there is so much that went into this for runners it's not like we have to fit a, a square peg in a round hole with some bodybuilding supplement because it could help some aspects of the body this is really covering all the bases we're looking for. I do have one last question for you before we let you go. Do you have a favorite flavor of the product? Because I, I certainly have I, one myself. Yeah, the grape is my favorite flavor, but uh, actually uh, there's, I, I don't, to be honest, I don't know what all the flavors are, but I, I've actually enjoyed all of them. But uh, I think if I, so I mix them up, but I, I like the grape the best. I haven't tried that one. That's I have not oh, tried. That's good. It. Yeah, it, it, uh, I, I I love it. It's really good. The blue raspberry has been my favorite, and the the pink lemonade is the other one I've enjoyed as well. So drink the blue raspberry. Yeah, the the thing that's interesting is you know I you know I, I don't get the blue uh, 
you know, they're not, the berries are not blue. So I don't, I, you know, that's why I don't, but I, that, that's probably the most popular one. But uh, uh, I think that, uh, well, you know, that just to the final point as to what you're saying about runners, you know, my goal was aerobic exercise. And, uh, you know, that was sort of a scientific thing, but obviously my background in running greatly, greatly impacted it. But, but it's not, it is val uh, valuable for other long drawn out things. For example, I'd like to play golf and I walk the course and I found that uh, on the, by the 10th hole, I want to uh, drink uh, a, a, a good dose of it because as you start flagging in your attention, you start getting a little, once you get a little tired, uh, you start uh, dragging and you uh, don't focus on your shot and, and the things go downhill. And I found it actually to be quite helpful to, uh, to uh, uh, maintain my concentration over that couple hour period of time from the 10th hole to the end where normally you're kind of flagging. So, you know, we haven't done any research in, in any of these things other than running, but I think that, uh, that you know, if, if it's involving something like soccer or any of these sports that take a long time, I'm, I, I, I would be quite confident that it would provide a benefit. I completely agree. And I'm big into hiking myself as well and could definitely see it being beneficial yeah. for that too. So yeah, we do that at the hiking. It's a good, good time. Well, good you're in New Zealand, because, so you, yeah, you've got some amazing places to go there. That yeah, I'm very absolutely. jealous of. Yeah, that's for sure. And, and it's good to have the aminos along to kind of keep your energy up on some pretty tough hikes. Oh, I'm sure. Well, I want to thank you so much for all your time. You've been very generous with it. And also just for sharing your journey um, as well as your expertise. I think it's going to give my audience just uh, a lot more of insight into what exactly their body, their brain is going to get out of using a product like this. And like I said, being someone who's used it myself, I've been very happy with the results. So I know it took years of research and you're still continuing uh, in your research in various areas, but I just wanted to uh, thank you for that. And of course, again, thank you for your time. Um, you're certainly welcome, Scott. And it's fun to talk about running. I, uh, uh, it's one of my favorite topics. Well, I'm glad you're still doing it. It gives me yeah. hope that I can have <laughs> some longevity as well because there are days my knees are kind of cracking up the stairs. But, you know, it's it's not a sprint. It's a marathon in, no, in life as well. Yeah, no, that's right. It's, uh, it's definitely a matter of hanging in there. Well, thank you once again. Really appreciate okay. it. And uh, hope you have a, a great rest of your night. Okay, thanks very much. Bye. This episode is sponsored by The Amino Company. There's not much to add today after the deep dive we just took looking at the Perform product, but I'd like to highlight a few things. First, just an extension of my own personal testimony. Your boy competed in a 4th of July 5K just a few days ago and ran a season's best by 36 seconds pretty fired up on that my season opener was on memorial day on largely the same course so a lot of it was in the same park with some rolling hills and on memorial day i had just started using perform that week so my body was just becoming accustomed to how that product worked now after five weeks of higher quality training I was thrilled to see the results, especially the last 1.1 of that 3.1 mile race, which was faster than my first two. I really was able to trick myself into not thinking I was as tired as I actually was, kind of like Dr. Wolf said in our interview. So if you have races coming up, or if you're in a long training block for a big fall race, now is the time to upgrade your training with Perform. 
visit aminoco.com slash chip time and use code chip time for 30% off your order. And remember, you'll have a 60 day money back guarantee if you aren't satisfied with the results. The link is also in the description of this episode. Now, back to the show. As we wrap up the show, we have some housekeeping items. As always, first of all, Chip Time Book Club. Chip Time Book Club, we have announced it. We have announced it three times at this point. And so it's time to mark those calendars. Six weeks from now, August 17th, we will be having the Chip Time Book Club for Shoe Dog by Phil night so you still have plenty of time to pick up the book if you are interested in reading about it and then on that day on august 17th we will hopefully have me and a guest or two breaking down the book what we enjoyed about it and i will say continue to say i've been enjoying the book so far if you'd like to contact the show, leave us an email, chiptimepod at gmail.com, chiptimepod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. Thank you to the five-star rating we received last week on Apple. Really appreciate still batting a 1,000 on the five stars on Apple, so don't ruin that. Don't throw a three or four out there. Leave a five-star rating if you enjoyed. If you'd like to join the Chip Time Strava group, all you need to do is add me on Strava, and I will get you plugged into the group. We also want to thank Dr. Wolf again for his time today, and thank you to The Amino Company for sponsoring this show. So thanks for listening, keep working hard, and we'll see you next time. (laughs) 